does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Jake, I was told that our next guest is an excellent dart player. Oh, like Ted Lasso. Excellent dart player. And he certainly hit the bullseye in calling in on time. I don't know if we've ever, in the history of the show, I don't know if we've ever had a guest call into the show five minutes early. But Jim Bob Cooter, the new offensive coordinator for the Colts, just did that. Uh, Coach, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the on hold music there. Apologies for that. Yeah, I, I uh, don't get to hear a lot of that, so it was it was it was good. That's why I called in early. I wanted to wanted to check you guys out behind the scenes. Sure. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for that for that background. Um, how how's the last month been? I know this is your second stint here in Indy. I'm sure it's been a bit of a whirlwind and trying to cram together before free agency and obviously uh, the draft upcoming next month. Uh, but what's the last month been like for you? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's always crazy. Um, you know, after the previous season, when you when you get to a new spot, get to a new job, get to a new city, um, all the stuff that needs to be done. And obviously, we're 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 working hard to to get all that done. But it's been it's been great to be back here in Indy. Uh, like you said, I spent spent three years here as a young coach, and to be able to you know see a lot of the people, see a lot of the city, and obviously a ton of a ton of the, Folks that still work around the building here, it's, it's been really fun. How much, Coach, of – like when you come in and you start to assess, obviously, the, the offense that you want to run, and you look at the personnel that's there, I, you know, this is a, a time when rosters are always kind of in flux. How much direct say do you have in terms of, you know what, I think this is the kind of player we could use or this is the kind of player we lack or we're not using this guy enough, et cetera. What is the process of assessing your current roster – and then making your wish list, if you will. Yeah, I think uh, organization we have a we have a lot of discussions, right? The, the front office guys uh, ask us for our opinion uh, on a lot of different areas, a lot of different things, and then we want to we want to have an informed opinion. So we're we're watching a, a, a lot of tape of our guys playing. We're watching a lot of tape of you know maybe free agents, maybe draft picks, uh, all the all the stuff that uh, you know wouldn't surprise anybody at home. But we're we're doing all that background work on guys. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll have those discussions internally. And, and, you know, sometimes we have meetings about them. Sometimes it's a little more informal discussion. And, you know, you want to make sure you're prepared with uh, what what avenues you think are best uh, to improve the team, improve the roster. And ultimately, you know, our job is to coach, coach these guys and go out and find a way to score some points and win some games. But uh, this, uh, this is a important time of year to, to make sure you're – or we are kind of, you know, on top of, of the personnel game in, in the NFL and, and keeping an eye on everybody. And like I said, a lot of times coach, coaching-wise, um, we watch a lot of tape, we, we write a lot of reports, and we, we try to have opinions. You will be bringing in, or the Colts are bringing in, obviously, a quarterback in Gardner Minshew, with which you're familiar, working with him um, over the course of your career as well. Shane Steichen, that also is true for in your anticipation, is Gardner Minshew a guy that you look at to be the one that's going to be running your offense next year, or is he in a tutorial role for a younger player that will be brought in? I think we're, you know, we're 
first off, I'm, I'm really excited to work with Gardner again. He's, uh, he's really fun to be around, really fun to work with and, and really, really valuable, valuable guy for the organization, no matter, no matter how it ends up shaking out. Um, I think really we're at the process as a staff, as a, as an offense of kind of evaluating every position at this time, like including quarterback, right? We're, we're, we're trying to get good players in here and, you know, guys that we think can help us, help us get better. And we're not, I don't want to, I'm not going to put a, put a, put a certain button on a certain guy to, to be a certain role at this point as, as much as just, you know, get everybody in here, evaluate everybody, get a little competition going and, you know, try to, try to make our offense better. So like I said, I'm, Really excited to work with Gardner again. He's like he's he's one of a kind type of guy, and uh, that'll it'll be fun. It'll be fun being back with him. And he's Jim Bob Cooter. He's the Colts' offensive coordinator. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline last year in, in Jacksonville. And I thought you made a really interesting comment when you met the media last week, Jim Bob. And that you said you've observed the quarterback position has kind of evolved over the years where guys have a few more tools to work with. Could you kind of expand on that and whether it was with a guy like Trevor Lawrence or it is evaluating this 2023 draft class, what do you mean by a few more tools to work with? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in every position, there are different ways to succeed and, and especially different ways maybe that have, that have succeeded in the past. Um, and, and the game, the game evolves a little bit and, and the players do as well. The players, um, you know, guys that are guys that are talented in different ways. Sometimes, as years go, you know, fifteen, twenty. I'm sure you know. Talks just like some college recruiting type guys. You might hear some of the same stories. Guys uh, end up sort of seeing that certain certain attributes play well at different positions. So you're seeing different types of guys, really, at all sorts of positions that that maybe wouldn't have been there in the 1990s or the 1980s, and you know, from a quarterback perspective, you know, I, I would say we're seeing generally, you know, generally, I think it's fair to say the the position as a whole in the NFL um, is a little more athletic at this moment, maybe than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and, and honestly, just because, you know, there's value to evading a rush, there's value to escaping the pocket and making a play downfield, throwing the ball, there's value to scrambling for a third down and, and, and getting a first down that way. And, you know, uh, the, if there's value there, then if I'm a young, young kid and I can play quarterback and I can, I can do some of that stuff, then, then maybe I'll play quarterback. And that's, that's what we're seeing a little bit more of, I think. Um, you know, there's still, there's, there's all sorts of different guys and there always will be, but uh, you know, the more tools you have to succeed, better chance you have to succeed, right? Like, you know, you, you, you build a house, uh, you, you, you build a house, but you don't have a hammer. That's that's a little bit harder than, than than having every tool available at Home Depot, right? So the more tools we have to succeed, um, and that that really kind of goes for our whole offense. But that that's I think that's true with the quarterback position. It's a great analogy, by the way. I was hoping you're going to make a dart analogy um, to get back to that. But um, yeah, I was, I was going to not touch that. I was going to not touch okay. that. I think I've gotten a little rusty. Uh, it's it's maybe been a while. But uh, I think yeah, once you have it, I, I don't think you ever truly <laughs> lose it. To be honest with you, um, again, Jim Bob Cooter is with us. I'd say one of the more popular questions I've gotten, and, and this goes for a lot of offense coordinators that don't call plays, but you know, I think fans are curious, like. What does Monday through Saturday look like for you on a weekly basis, and what does Sunday look like for you when you're not calling plays? You know, so much focus is that, but obviously you're doing a whole hell of a lot outside of you know Shane's role on Sunday, getting the most scrutiny. So, what does a game week look like for you as the OC? Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that's that's something that we have to have discussions on and, and make sure we're on the same page on uh, when we get to that time. You know, like you, you, you guys alluded to earlier, it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy part of the year for us. We're doing a ton of personnel. We're putting the playbook together. Um, some of those, some of those in-season specifics uh, are things we would, we would talk about in the future. But I'll just say, you know, I think my role will be to do everything I can to, to help this offense succeed. Uh, and specifically, as you know, what we do as a coaching staff around the building here, maybe when the players aren't around, uh, to help Coach Steichen with, with everything he needs to, to get prepared for the week, to get organized for the week. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things that go on here behind the scenes. And ultimately, you know, if you're not calling the plays, you're, you're, you're helping the guy that is and you're helping the players. And that's, you know, that's a simple way to look at it. But that's really, the, I think, the right way to look at it. Like, whatever I can do to help, I think, you know, that's what I'll be asked to do. And I'll try to find my best path to, to help this team get better. Coach, I respect the fact that it would be naive of me for you to, to give specific names here. So I'm not asking that per se. But in this draft, there are, by all account, four quarterbacks that appear to be those that will go fairly early in the draft. And I'm curious, from your expertise and perspective, how big a gap is there from the first to the fourth when you assess them? Uh, well, I'm just going to say that uh, it's a really fun draft class to look at. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed sort of getting going on that process, watching tape of the guys, trying to kind of find out a little bit more about these guys behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be in the mode of, of ranking guys or, or sort of sort of answering your question, I guess would be the, the true way to say it. But, uh, but it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun group to look at. It's, it's really been, uh, like I said, been a good group to, to watch and learn and, and really, really think about who they might be in the future. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that process. I think, a lot of us around the building here are. Will you go to pro days, and what do you find beneficial about getting some one-on-one interactions with these guys, whether it is at a pro day, private workouts, top 30 visits, et cetera? Uh, I'm, I'm, without getting into specifics, I'm sure we'll, we'll have some interactions with these guys, and, and that'll be, you know, it's, it's really important to get to, know, get to know, you know, the draft picks, get to know the young, the young guys coming out of college, and get to know guys that could, could potentially be uh, joining your team, especially through the draft, like every year, uh, every year we have these these different these different methods, these different ways to communicate with guys and interact with guys, and I've found that to be really valuable over the years. Um, to kind of know who you're bringing onto your team, who you're bringing onto your roster, um, and 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 how you're moving forward with those type of guys. So yeah, we're I'm excited to to get to interact with those guys whenever the whenever the time comes and keep some of the details of that in-house. But uh, like I said, it's, it's a good group. It's an exciting group to look at. My last question for you, Coach. Jim Bob Cooter's our guest, the offensive coordinator for the Colts on the Payless Stickers Hotline. Um, I realize you worked with and know both these guys now from a professional standpoint. But if I'm not mistaken, you went to high school to the same high school that years before you, Kelly Holcomb, had played. And then, obviously, you grew up in Tennessee when Peyton Manning was playing. Both of them were Colts quarterbacks. You, the bigger hero for you as a kid was which? Well, that, you know, like I said, you try not to rank anybody. You're going to make somebody make somebody angry. But, boy, it was, uh, you know, kind of growing up, uh, like you said, Fettville, Tennessee, the, the Lincoln County Falcons was the big high school. And everybody <laughs> went to – Everybody went to, to Friday night to the game 
down at the pit. That's what they call the the, oh, love the field down there. And Kelly Holcomb it sure was fun to watch back then. And you know, obviously, like you said, growing up, uh, growing up a Tennessee fan, watching Peyton do what he do what he did, and then getting the chance to work with him at a few different spots, including here in Indy. Obviously, uh, not 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 going to rank anybody because I don't want to make a state or a county mad at me. But <laughs> but uh, both those guys is pretty cool. Um, just walking around the building here. You know, getting a chance to look at some of the old teams. You know, they have some of the old team pictures up on the wall, and uh, obviously being lucky enough to be a part of some of those. But then, like you said, every now and then you walk by one, and you go, "Oh, there's there's Kelly Holcomb right next to Peyton Manning," and that just kind of a cool cool background story. So, uh, does Jim Bob Cooter have a favorite indie establishment that maybe he ventured to a decade ago that uh, now he's back here? He's like, you know what? Hey, I kind of forgot about that place. Well, I haven't been I haven't been venturing out too much, but uh, I'll sure I have to dig into the dig into the old archives and and get back to all the all the all the good old restaurants and and stuff around the around town. Make sure I get to get to experience the city. Have you ever been just Jim, or has it always been Jim Bob? Uh, it's always been Jim Bob. Yeah, and I haven't been just Jim. Although, you know, from time to time, you, you have a couple different. Uh, names i guess you, you get called a little bit of everything as you move around the country but uh yeah it's always been jim bob All right he is jim bob cooter he will be the offense coordinator for the colts under shane steichen here this season and hopes obviously for many more to come after that uh jim bob really appreciate the time this morning i know it's busy with pro days and all that starting so uh thank you for that and uh looking forward to talking to you again this fall all right appreciate it guys have a good one it's jim bob cooter Right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Jake, the first, I would say, mega quarterback pro day is actually today. That will be C.J. Stroud later this afternoon with Ohio State's pro day. And then, ironically enough, Bryce Young tomorrow with Alabama. Will Levis Thursday, or I guess Friday, with Kentucky. So they spaced those three out. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, the lyrics to that song originally say everyone's a winner. That does not include, if I'm not mistaken, Joel A. Erickson's alma mater. Am I correct that Joel's a Missouri guy? I was yeah. going to say, for one game until the other Tigers got them, right? Yeah, man, but I, I thought about Joel A. Erickson as I was watching the Missouri-Princeton game because I'm like, nothing – In it said more about Princeton than Missouri. I don't think it's even a slight of Missouri, but I didn't expect it to go that route. 
Joel joins us this morning on the Payless Sickers Hotline, and I'm sure is thrilled to be doing so with that introduction here at eight o'clock on a Wednesday. Joel, how are you? Um, I'm I'm doing a little worse now. I was telling I was telling my friends last week. You know, it's the first year with a new coach in Missouri. They beat Utah State. You gotta you gotta win in the tournament. You're feeling like it's house money from then on, and then Princeton beats Arizona. And all that house money stuff goes out the window, and the next thing you know, you've lost to a 15 seed again. So, not not great, not great uh, on on last Saturday night. But you know the the be, real to be kick fair, that's becomes... happened each of the last three years with Oral Roberts and St. Peter's too. The 7-10 matchup yeah. gets to see the 15 seed, and they think, oh yeah, we're going to Sweet 16, and boom. That's the thing is the tournament, Joel. I think like the cruelty of the NCAA tournament is you find yourself looking beyond the bracket for your team and finding the avenues that you convince yourself of, of, oh, man, this just completely opened up for us, and then boom. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and there also is the, the hard part of, no matter how uh, how the season went, because, you know, in, in Missouri in Missouri land, we've, we've all felt pretty good about the way Dennis Gates handled the first season. No one expected them to be really in the tournament, much less – you know, be have a have a uh, be in the top four in the SEC and and play pretty well, and then you end up losing to Princeton, and it just, just colors it a little bit. I mean, Kansas did lose; that did help. Uh, Kansas losing that, at the same time helped a little bit, but it, now, it didn't completely. Joel, save. I asked my buddy, who's a huge Kansas fan, if it was if the blow was softened because Missouri lost, and he's like, "Nope." It still hurts. Oh, oh, they don't. They don't. They don't feel the same way about us that we do about that. We're, I'm okay with that. That's fine. I thought you just cracked a PBR when I heard that. You know, like pop that? over there. What? Yeah. What do you got there? Rockstar punch. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Joel A. Erickson is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, it's a pro day week. Which, when you have a top five pick and you have the quarterback question, uh, and you see, oh boy, Ohio State, C.J. Stroud today, uh, Bryce Young, Alabama tomorrow, Will Levis, Kentucky, on Friday, Anthony Richardson next week. Um, obviously, you know, that gets a little bit more on the attention front. Um, I believe you are owners meetings bound next week. Will you be pro day bound at all this week? Uh, Nate is pro day bound. Nate Atkins is headed to the pro days. I believe he's in Columbus right now. Um, we might've had to miss out on Bryce Young. So he could go to Anthony Richardson. I think that makes sense. Nate is handling I handle the owner's meeting. Hell just happened. Are you, are you connecting to Bluetooth, Joel? Oh. Uh, I think I, I I did not mean to. I did not mean to connect to Bluetooth. That was an accident. How are now, things on the moon? Now you sound great. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened there. All good. Um, okay, so pro day for Nate Atkins this week. Pro days, I should say. And then you to the owner's meetings next week. Um, on the Isaiah... Isaiah McKenzie front, do you believe this is your day one slot starter, wide receiver, number three, fully ingrained in the Paris Campbell role, plus potentially punt returns? Yeah, uh, it, he seems to be – it seems to be a pretty clear one-for-one one there. I, you know, I think that you probably end up drafting somebody in the hopes that they uh, can take that from McKenzie. I, Isaiah McKenzie's been productive in Buffalo, but he had a chance to take over Cole Beasley's role last year and just didn't really do it the way Buffalo wanted to. I mean, obviously Buffalo just released him after signing uh, two receivers, you know. And so 
I think ultimately you you want to you want somebody to you either want McKenzie to to make the most of an opportunity he didn't quite take advantage of last year, or you're going to want someone to take that role. Um, but in the meantime, this is uh, this is the, uh, the 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 Paris Campbell replacement. Joel, what would you say aside from Joel Erickson is our guest? He's with the Indianapolis Star. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Uh, aside from the obvious, which is who is going to be the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, what would you say has developed into the second biggest question about this franchise in the offseason that has yet to be answered? Uh, I I just want to know, you know, is this team is this team comfortable with the idea that um, they might be? Uh, taking stock, treading water, however you want to say it, next season with with the rookie quarterback uh, in his first season, and and not necessarily competing for you know the division because um, that's that's kind of what I've thought is with is the way they'd be heading, and you know the Stephon Gilmore move and a couple other things make it seem that way, but I know that there's a significant portion of the fan base that feels like um, you know for Chris Ballard sake they need to win and win now but I'm, I'm not sure i i'm not sure i think that that's the case and i think that's that's kind of one of the the things that i'm wondering is is, is does this team look at this as you know they're they're back in rebuild mode a little bit and and because because it's probably going to be a rookie quarterback because uh the quarterback of the future may not be at at his fully formed uh starter capabilities by that point are they comfortable with, you know, maybe having to tread water a little bit this season on a competitive standpoint? And he's Julian Erickson. He's with us here from the Indianapolis Star on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Um, Joel, what do you think the percentage is that they stay at pick four and don't take a quarterback? Uh, I think it might be as high as, as 50 or 60. Um, that high. Come up. Yeah, well, someone's someone's got to come up to someone's got to want to come up to Arizona's pick, um, and you need uh, so it it kind of looks like the Raiders would, would maybe be the the team that's in that. I I keep thinking that Seattle is interesting, but is is Arizona going to trade the third pick to Seattle so they can draft a quarterback? Um, I mean, maybe. I mean, you probably, maybe you should if if, if you're getting a big enough haul. Um, but yeah, I think there's a chance that I think there's a chance the Colts don't feel like they need to move up at all. I've asked this maybe to you even Joel before, but it seems like it's almost an evolving question. Aside from quarterback, which is the obvious, and I think corner back is also probably applicable here. But what is an area of need for the Colts that is on the burner now more so than you would have guessed at the end of last year it was going to be? Cornerback, definitely. Um, You know, with just the sheer volume of snaps being gone, 1,500 snaps are gone from this this roster. Um, And they don't don't necessarily have the, the type of cornerback bodies right now that that we're used to seeing from Gus Bradley defenses um I I don't know that this is one we didn't think about at the the end of the year but offensive line depth and competition on the interior and swing tackle it just feels like 
it feels like they need a lot more there and a lot more competition that we haven't seen yet. Um, and so offensive line, I'm kind of waiting for, you know, when's, when's the move there? When, when is there going to be a move there at, especially on the veteran route? Um, they did pick up a, they did claim on a veteran offensive lineman off of waivers from the Cowboys in January who plays center and guard. But other than, I mean, I, I thought that they were, there's probably going to be more moves than that. Um, and, and, you know, you wonder, like, if, if they're going to trade up or whatever they're going to do in the draft, are, are you going to have enough picks to fill some of those with the, the first day picks? So offensive line is another one that I, I keep thinking of. And then, um, you know, it, it, this is more draft than free agency, but uh, I'm assuming there's going to be a developmental linebacker pick. Yeah, I think that's a good point you bring up about, you know, wanting to make sure that you address things in free agency so therefore when you get into the draft you don't feel like you're forced into certain positions. If a guy is available at, you know, 35 or pick 80 in the third round that just because he might not play a position of, you know, uber importance that you feel like you've done enough in March to where you aren't kind of pigeonholed into that. Um, kind of on that note, Joel, of offensive line and corner. And again, Joel A. Erickson from the Stars with us here. He's off to the owners' meetings next week in Arizona. Ryan Kelly and Kenny Moore, um, if I'm not mistaken, those guys got owed some bonuses over the weekend. I don't think they were massive. You know, I'm talking like a million or less. I'm not talking like Matt Ryan-type bonus that he would have been due last Friday. Um, But the fact that those two are still on the roster this late into the month of March and the fact that you did pay them some bonuses over the weekend – does that indicate to you that those two will be on the team this fall? That's that's kind of the way I'm. That's kind of what I'm thinking, and p- part of it is just you know what Chris Ballard said about you know whether or not they were going to let go of veterans at at the combine. He said those guys have been good Colts. We want to do right by them, and you know putting them on the market now after spots have been filled and their market would be dried up, especially a guy like Kelly, um, who plays you know a position that there's essentially one starter in each in each NFL city. I mean, not, not that he wouldn't be able to get a job, but in terms of getting the market he wants, I, I don't know that you'd, you'd get that if that happens. So I'm, I'm kind of assuming that both those guys are back. More uh, also, I mean, just what else they've done at cornerback or haven't done at cornerback makes me think that Kenny Moore is going to be back because you need someone to start at that cornerback position. Um, you know, I know they love Dallas Flowers' talent, but I don't know if he just handed over to him at this point in his career. so Yeah, I think yeah, they need I, two I, corners, frankly. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think they need two corners, I, I'm assuming, of the taller variety. Um, and the, the thing is, there, there are some of those guys still out there on the market. The corner market has been a little slower. Um, and that's a position that they've signed late in the past and gotten good one-year returns out of. Um, but, yeah, they, they definitely need at least two. Joel, when you've... I guess, asked around or read around about this draft. If you were a franchise, in terms of this year's NFL draft, the position that has the least depth. So, in other words, if you were a franchise in dire need of blank position, this would not be the year for you because you'd be in for some real bad drafting. That position is what? Well, the one that everyone was talking about at the Combine is that after years and years of these super deep wide receiver classes where you can get starters in the second and the third round, everyone was talking about how this this year 
this year is the year that there's not those guys. That this is a this is a much thinner wide receiver class. You don't necessarily see um, wide receivers being projected way up as possibilities in the top five. Um, you know, there's it, it just doesn't it thins out a lot faster than it has in the past. And I think I think the indication that that's probably true is just the way the Bears have operated over the past year. Um, you know, including wide receivers in all these trades. I think that that's, uh, that's somewhat of an indication that they're looking ahead and going, we might not be able to get Justin Fields any help, uh, immediate help in, in either free agency or the draft. So we're going we're gonna to go get ours uh, where, wherever we have to to make sure we have it. It, it. Wide receiver has been, for the last, it feels like, almost a decade. It feels like every time you get there to the combine, people are like, man, there's just so many wide receivers. And this year, this year was the opposite. This year it's been. Yeah, it feels like tight end got a lot of the praise, honestly, from a skills position standpoint versus wide receiver at the Combine. Uh, Joel A. Erickson from the Stars with us, and I'm glad you brought up the Bears and that trade with Carolina. Um, you know, I think something interesting that Chicago did with that trade, they didn't get a ton of draft picks necessarily for this year. They got a first-rounder for 2024. They got a second-rounder for, for 2025. And I think in a way that's their – you know, management saying, hey, if we need to pivot from Justin Fields, we have a little bit of ammo in future drafts to do that. I bring that up in regards to Lamar Jackson and the Colts. Because, Joel, I, I think one of the reasons why I would be hesitant, it's not the most important reason or the biggest reason why I, I'd be hesitant, but you also have to give up two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson. And let's say you do this move in May, and all of a sudden Lamar Jackson has injury history that we've seen the last two years that pops up again in 2023, pops up again in 2024. You don't have first-round picks in the 2024-2025 draft to pivot and try and go a different route at that position. How much does that weigh on you when you think about making a move for him? Well, uh, I, I think it's significant. I also think it's significant, um, maybe not in terms of a decision, because if you – if if what's reported has been true that that Jackson wants guaranteed money in those first three years, then you're assuming he's going to be the quarterback regardless of his injury history. I mean, maybe you want to get a developmental guy behind him, but um, it, you're assuming he's going to be the quarterback. But in terms of building the team around him, I mean, I think that's the only move left where if the Colts did it, we would say, okay, all of a sudden the expectations are flipped again, and we're looking at this team as can it contend for the AFC South? Is this a playoff team? And you give up the two first round picks. You've given up however much how much in guaranteed money. Then you're then you're going okay. We, we, they traded Stephon Gilmore away. They have a quarterback who can contend for the AFC South. But what are they going to do to fix the rest of the roster around him? Um, and so I I do think that that's part of part of the calculus here is is you almost want you'd almost want to bring Jackson in or I'd almost want to bring Jackson in when I feel like it's like the go for it move. Now I, the Colts need a quarterback in the worst way in any way possible. If they feel like he's a the guy, they should just go do it and figure out whatever they have to do on the back end. But I do think it does complicate it a little bit, especially given, given that injury history that you referenced. You know, I was just going to ask you, Joel, can they contend in the AFC South? And is this a playoff team? I, but I think that kind of answers the question. I, I just I feel like the challenge is not even necessarily about where the Colts 
are not as a roster, but where the rest of the AFC is, and that's and they're playing catch up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and I mean you just look at any of the top quarterbacks and in the NFL right now, none of them really made the sort of the Andrew Luck impact as a rookie that that I think some people still expect. You know, Mahomes sat. Uh, Josh Allen was you know, very up and down. Joe Burrow was good, but Cincinnati wasn't winning before he got hurt. Uh, Jalen Hurts had to sit. You know, Justin Herbert was really good, won the rookie of the year, but the Chargers still didn't make the playoffs. There's a, there's a, a delayed, there's a delayed reward that goes along with getting a rookie quarterback. It's the, 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 what happened with Andrew Luck is, is the outlier. And it's, it's getting to the point now where, it's been a long time since that happened that it almost doesn't have relevance anymore given how how long ago it was that that you're going to expect a rookie quarterback to come in and put you in playoff contention right away. And that's what I keep thinking about in terms of this Colts outlook for the next season is if you were if you were going going for the playoffs, you know, and you're going for a rookie quarterback at the same time, those two things kind of work against each other. Uh and and you know I know I know that there's some people who think Gardner Minshew can play really well. Um, you know I think there's probably a feeling there that that the NFL is kind of acknowledged by him being a backup in Philadelphia and the contract he got, frankly. But it, it just doesn't seem like you're going to fully expect to compete for a playoff spot right away with a rookie quarterback. I think it's more of a if this happens, that's great. <laughs> uh, it means we're further ahead than we thought. Joel, what are we looking at next week in terms of schedule? I, I don't know if it's locked in stone yet, but you know, any updates from you out there in regards to Shane Steichen, Chris Ballard, and Jim Mercer? Well, the the uh, the AFC head coaches talk right away on Monday morning, um, and now I say right away on Monday morning. I have to remember that I'm going to Arizona, so for you guys, it'll it won't be right away on Monday morning. But they talk at like seven forty five. Uh, Mountain Time or Arizona Time on, on uh, I I can never remember if Arizona switches or not. Um, I think Arizona's weird, like us. Uh, and so Arizona, right at seven forty-five Arizona time, we'll get Steichen. Uh, typically in the past, it's been Ballard a little bit later in that day, and then Ursay the next day. Um, none of that's set in stone yet, but that's kind of how it's been before. And yeah, I, it'll be Steichen right away with the AFC coaches. And I, I am interested to, to hear, you know, what their thoughts are now that they're kind of gone through the t- team building process on what the outlook is. You know, what's, you know, finally, you know, ask Jim Irsay, you know, everyone, there, there's not everyone, but there's, there's a segment that are thinking Chris Ballard has to have a big season this year for job security. It doesn't seem like you're operating that way. You know, where, where does that sit? You know, wh- where are you guys in terms of being competitive? Why didn't you go – harder for the first pick um, because it seems like from everything I've read from sort of the Albert Breers and Peter King uh, that uh, the people who get the kind of behind the scenes stuff after it, the, the Colts weren't really that involved in that discussion. Um, and so that's another thing that'll be interesting to talk about. So uh, owners meetings are always good. You kind of get it right here at the end of free agency where you get a chance to kind of ask, Hey, what's the direction where, where you guys made these moves? Where, where are you headed going, going forward? And Joel A. Erickson will be out in Arizona next week for the owners' meetings. Uh, Three-hour time difference. Um, so that'll be 745 on Monday, 1045 here. 
um, for Joel. Joel, safe travels out there, and uh, thanks for the time this morning. And sorry about your Tigers not getting to the Sweet 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. Thanks for having me on, guys. See you, Joel. I think that's the – in the tournament, sometimes it's not even so much – a direct loss as much as getting excited about what could have been for your team. Well, I think one of the um, – Does that make sense what I'm saying, though? Like, you look at it and you're like, oh, man, they just would have gotten past that when the bracket was wide right. open. It was opening up for them, you know? And I think one of the interesting parts about the tournament, Jake – and I- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. It's the 9 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. For that matter, it's 9 o'clock everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Quarry, Kevin Bowen here as well. Sam Fritz on the big board. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You've heard him plenty on these airwaves over the last month or so. Dane Fife joins us, who of course has spent time as a player in the NCAA Tournament with Indiana as a coach with Indiana, as a coach with Michigan State, who still remains in the Sweet 16 so, Dan, I guess my first question is, does this time of year kind of get the juices flowing for you in terms of a nostalgic nature from your playing days or your coaching days? Well, I'd say both, guys. Uh, first, I was embedded with the Sparties. I was with the Spartans uh, this weekend in Columbus, and I got to see um, – I switched to my earbud here. Uh, I got to um, – I got to I got to see Florida Atlantic, my man Dusty May, and I got to see a little bit of the Boilers. I was in the building, guys, when the Boilers went down, and I'm a Boiler fan, and so uh, to be honest with you, I think it's more exciting uh, to be a coach and get in, get into this tournament than it is a player. I don't know why. I just uh, I think, uh, I guess it's probably because I sucked as a player personally. And I feel like maybe I have more of an impact as a coach, the scheming, the schematic type things. Um, I'd say probably, probably uh, more exciting to be a coach than it was a player. You know, the Purdue game, could you feel the energy day? Like as a player, you'd, you'd have good perspective on this. I mean, you played, for example, the Duke game that you were a part of, and and yep. we're just going to say that it was Coverdale that fouled Jason Williams yeah, on that Coverdale. shot. Whacked that's him. That's yep. right. Whacked him. But when that happened, for example, 
you know, Rupp Arena, as you guys had had Duke on the ropes, you, you could the energy was palpable, like coming through the television. So you would know this with Purdue and Fairleigh Dickinson, as people were like, "Oh my gosh, is this happening?" Do you did the players feel it? Did that victimize Purdue because they started looking at the clock just as the fans did? Well, you know, when Coverdale made that foul against Duke, it, it became that warm that warm sweat. The excitement became a cold sweat and a knot in your stomach. And it was the same feeling. I was in the building when, when Purdue was, uh, you know, they, they 70 per, 75, 80% of the crowd was chanting FDU last eight minutes or so. And, again, I, I was rooting for Purdue, Fletcher Lawyer, uh, Matt Painter, Big Ten. I was rooting for Purdue, and I'm not afraid of it. I'm not ashamed of it. And I started getting that knot in my stomach. And you could feel, honestly, you could feel the tension. And it was, um, I was involved when Michigan State, I was assistant with Michigan State when we lost to Middle Tennessee State. And it was a 15-2 upset in St. Louis. And the difference was, is we were at least scoring. I mean, we, we scored upwards close to 100 points with Michigan State. Purdue couldn't score. Their defense was okay. But, I just that that ball started rolling against Purdue, and there was nothing that could stop it. And what what I saw was, um, you know, everybody wants to make a big deal about Purdue's guard. What I saw was the upperclassmen that were really struggling in that moment, and you know, Zach Eady was they, they were just out of character. Uh, where I thought Fletcher Lawyer kind of held his own, was making some big shots down the stretch. Braden Smith was a one-man press breaker. He's Dane Fife. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Dane, are you in at all the rest of this week, noon to three? I've enjoyed the past couple days. Oh, hey, thanks, KB. I appreciate that. Uh, no, I am not. Um, I may try to work my way over to New York City to catch Michigan State and uh, Florida Atlantic. Um, that's going to be a fun side of the bracket. Those are two teams that I've got special interest in, obviously. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I will not be in the rest of the week. I, I want to stick with Purdue for just a second um, before I, we get to Michigan State and just the the bracket in general. Um, you brought up, you know, your guys lost to Middle Tennessee State. I mean, obviously, that's an outlier for Tom Izzo and, and, and when you were there. Let's say Matt Matt Painter dials you up and says, "All right, Dane, you know you have experienced a loss like that from a mid-major standpoint, a big upset, but you also have been a part of a program that has come out of this conference and had unbelievable consistency in the tournament." Um, if Matt Painter asked you for some advice and maybe how to tweak things, how to handle a schedule, how to handle November through February, so you're peaking in March, yeah. what would you say to him? Well, one of the things I said uh, on our show, uh, it just had crossed my mind. You know, Coach Izzo plays a, he's well, it's well documented. He plays a tough balls, you know, uh, preseason schedule. And it looks great on the front end. And then usually on the back end, and you're seeing a couple of L's that maybe you could have avoided. Uh, it doesn't always feel good. But he, Coach Izzo's always made a big deal about uh, playing um, a team, one team uh, in one of the power you know, six power, six conferences. The other five conferences, he wants to play a team from each conference. That's to fascinating to me. Yeah, it is. Now, that doesn't help when you're playing Middle Tennessee State or Fairlane, you know, FDU in Purdue's case. 
But what it does is it gets you, gives you an idea of how other teams play or how each conference plays, by and large. You know, there's a couple, uh, you know, take Michigan State in the Big Ten. Michigan State wants to play fast. They're going to push it up the floor. But by, by and large, most teams play in similar fashion in order to survive in their respective conferences. And so it, it is a fascinating dynamic, and that's something that we were able to utilize in recruiting, too. We want to be able to, okay, can we play, play fast like, can we play fast and shoot the ball like Alabama? Can, do, we get, do we have the inside game of Arizona and maybe a Pac-12? You know, do we have the toughness of the Big 12? Do we have the quickness of the Big East? You know, those were things that we'd always take into account because we're not just playing to win the Big Ten championship. You know, at Michigan State, we're playing for March. And by in doing so, um, we're going we're gonna to have a good lay of the land in the preseason, whether we win or lose. Dane, I had mentioned this, and I, I want your perspective to kind of piggyback off of that. Dane Fife's our guest on the Payless Liggers Hotline. The, in the Big Ten, I was saying to Kevin, I don't know this, but I feel like other leagues, and I'll use the ACC as an example, I feel like the ACC has greater diversity of style of play within its own league than does the Big Ten. Like, in other words, to your point, there is a particular style that you have to build yourself to be, seemingly Tom Izzo is the one that doesn't, to be able to master winning the Big Ten, but that doesn't necessarily translate to then being able to take on opponents of other leagues. Are there other leagues, notably, we'll say the ACC, and I'll throw the Big 12 in there, do they have teams within their league that have a greater variation of style of play than is offered by the Big Ten? You know, I think you, you've got to adapt to a certain style of play to when you're competing at the top of the, each league. And what I mean by that is everybody kind of has to mold their team in order to win that league. I, I don't know that there's like a super outlier in each league. Uh, either the ACC or, like, take Kansas, for example. I mean, how complex is Kansas? You know, Kansas, they, they're they well, it's well known that they've got a really big, ori- they've got a big center, a powerful, or not, not so much now, uh, not so much this year, but they've got a big oriented team. They usually have pretty good guards. They don't play that fast. Um, I think if, a big part of it is you have to have, um, you have to have somebody that can just go get you a freaking bucket. That's usually a pretty good pro or a guy that catches fire. Like we had Cassius Winston at Michigan State, who we just always felt could either get us a bucket or find the right guy to get us a bucket when it matters. And I think those are usually the teams that you see winning the winning big in March is whether it's a big, and generally it's not, it's usually a guard that can just get you that last two or four points, that big bucket that can win you the game. And I think that's a big part of it. Um, does the Big Ten need to, and and this is where NIL can play a role, does the Big Ten need to invest in more pros, uh, more pro guards? I don't know. But I think it's the, the key part is do you have somebody that can go get you that big bucket? I think this year, Dane, for the most part, undoubtedly, Braden Smith had an impressive freshman year, and he's a he's a, a player that I think people enjoy watching for a number of valid reasons. But against Fairleigh Dickinson, against that press, seven turnovers, did not play well. 
Is that is that an area that a young player just the nerves and the moment come into play and you grow from that and learn how to better control the basketball, better play in that environment, or is it a matter of not simply being quick enough in college basketball at that level to be able to execute against the press? I think it's a good point, Jake. I think youth plays a major factor in uh, in the NCAA tournament for the most part. Uh, I can think back to probably my first two years, at least my first two years, maybe three years, where I was crapping boulders. And... Um, <laughs> I think I can speak for my teammates as well. That experience, um, you know, the been there part of it is a big deal. And I can speak from experience. I can speak from, as you mentioned, a player and a coach where you're, as a coach, you're a lot more comfortable with guys out there that have gotten it done. And then there's always that guy that just, you know, the heat doesn't bother him. You know, pressure bothers everybody to, to, from one extent to the other where uh, I, I, I really think that, um, you know, in Braden Smith's case and, and Fletcher Lawyer and, and even a Zach Eady, you're going to see if they all come back a significantly different, uh, more battle-hardened team next year that can handle those moments um, in much better fashion. And I'm just going to say I really love Purdue's team. Uh, for next year if they can keep the, the the nucleus together. And I think they are going to be a force next year. He's Dane Fife, uh, Madison Square Garden bound, it sounds like, to watch Sparty and Dusty May and company with FAU coming up uh, later this week. And Dane's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, Dane, what? Um, how would you compare, and, and I laughed when you used the term portalette yesterday to describe what the transfer portal can be. Um, how would you describe maybe what Purdue should be or shouldn't explore in the portal versus what Indiana needs in the portal this offseason? Well, I, I think I've listened to, to enough people that, and I agree, and Don Fisher said it, uh, I think Purdue's going to, Probably, I, I can't imagine them having to replace too many players, um, and I'm not sure that they that they need to. I think they have enough. I think they have what they need. I, I do think it comes down to experience. Does Coach Painter and staff need to make a few adjustments and maybe some defensive coverages or some offensive scheming? Yeah, and they will. You know, Matt Painter. Uh, He's not afraid to, to make changes. I've been watching him for a long time, he's, and he's not afraid to make changes defensively or offensively. As for Indiana, I, I think I was reading, and I'd agree, I think there's many as four to six new faces, if not more, and they have two freshmen signed. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, when you look at the landscape, it's probably you can probably say that they're going to lose two more based on the law of averages um, into the portal. And I think at this point, Indiana probably needs 13 guys on their roster, you know, um, on, on scholarship. A big part of this, and, and I said it yesterday, you have to be careful because there there are a few success stories with regard to teams that that use the portal um, in upwards of, of three, four, five guys coming from the portal. 
but there's there, for the most part, there's a lot more failures. And I call it the you can be the the portal can be you know something of a um, a really uh, uh, roses and rainbows, but the portal can become the portal John really quick, and that's the problem with a lot of these programs. You're not seeing the failures, uh, but it, but the failures are the guys that are getting fired, you know, the coaches that are getting fired. Yeah, I mean, there's. It's probably not deigned to the level of NFL free agency or NBA free agency because they're young people sometimes that just want to get closer to home. Or, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's guys that want to get more minutes or, or get log jammed somewhere. Or money. But there, or money, yeah. But there is still money some now, truth to yeah. the fact that you're still getting guys that, for whatever reason, another program let go, right? I mean, maybe the program didn't want to, but you yeah. get what I'm saying there, right? Yeah, and I think for the most part, before the portal came about i think it was a two-way street it worked both ways where the player wanted to leave and for the most part uh the coaches the staff the team wanted the player out of there and that's not a good decision on either one of them's part probably wasn't a good decision in the first place for the player to go there and of course coaches we make mistakes in recruiting um we try to limit them but we make mistakes i think the biggest issue is uh, like I, dis- I discussed, just is is the circle the play the the players circle around them, you know the people that are in the players ear. You're not getting enough shots. Your coach is screwing you, and they leave for the wrong reasons, and then they go to a program, uh, the next program, for the wrong reason. Reason. So they've got this delusional um, thought process where I'm going to go in and the grass is going to be greener, and it typically doesn't work out that way. So you're, you're bringing in, a, you know, the program is bringing in a player that was disgruntled, and it and it's following him. His problems are following him to the next program. And they're coming in with that delusional thought process, and what you have is a disgruntled player. Now, let's think about having six of those guys. That's usually what you get now from the portal. Not always, not always, but that's usually what you get. When, when it comes to recruiting, which is harder – which is the bigger challenge to get right? You know, because you have some players, Dane, that you just miss on assessing their, their skill. You know, some guys, because they yep. played at a smaller school or whatever, and then you get there and you realize this guy can't play. And then you have other yep. guys that you miss on their character and they get there and you go, this guy's a pain in the backside and there's going to be an issue. Which one is, is, a, is harder to be able to predict? I think at the highest level, you know, like a level at like Michigan State, um, you have a lot of time to learn about freshmen, you know, an incoming freshman, a guy that you've recruited generally for two, three, four years. Um, and I think at Michigan State, at least, we have a little rule of thumb is you cannot just recruit the player. You have to recruit the family. You've got to do the job with family care. You're like, like when I was recruiting somebody at Michigan State, I stopped recruiting them because of a parent that was just – volatile on social media think about that and it wasn't necessarily volatile about their own child they were just volatile and and occasionally about their own child and i thought gosh if they could be volatile about that imagine when you know crap hits the fan when their child's struggling at you know in basketball what are they going to do what are they going to tweet about the staff what are they going to tweet about the the kids experience and so um when you when you recruit from the portal you've got you've got 
you know, you, you do have the body of work at the previous school, um, which is somewhat equivalent to the, you know, to, to your particular school. But what you have, what you don't have is you don't have much time and time to interview, time to do research, time to talk about uh, the kid's background, the kid's family. You just have generally stats or in some cases you might have recruited them previously. Um, but I, I, I still say for the most part, you can bet there's problems that they're bringing. Uh, there's baggage. Not everybody, but most people. Dane, we'll end with this. Um, you've been pretty adamant that Trace Jackson Davis not only can play at the next level, but have a lot of success at the next level. Um, you've seen him behind the scenes. What does that jump shot look like behind the scenes, and how much do you think <laughs> that is something that he needs to showcase at the NBA level to have staying power in that league? Well, I think it's – it's. Uh, I, I can't classify it as great, but I think right now you bring him in and it's serviceable. Uh, what the NBA will do is they'll really put a strong emphasis. They'll, they'll just have, all right, you're coming in, you're doing this every day. That's all you're working on. They can, NBA has a way of just, you know, they, they find that niche and um, they can accentuate it and put, put emphasis on it. And Trace will come in there and shoot a thousand jumpers a day. That's a lot. And um, I don't think NBA should be fearful of that at all. That should not be the deal breaker. Tracy Jackson Davis' ability to shoot the mid range or the three because he does so many other things. And I think the biggest one is he's a great person. Um, because what you're going to have is if you're going to have him on the bench, you better have a good dude on the bench. You don't need someone causing problems. If you're going to have him as a starter, you know, what he's going to bring is what he does every day. Now that he's decided to start rebounding, it's just going to be hard to keep him off the floor because he can do so many things. And you add in the jumper that I, I, I said this, and I keep saying I said this yesterday, but you know, somebody was tweeting, I, I mentioned he's a smaller version of DeMontis Sabonis. And somebody said, well, he can't shoot like him. And I said, how do you know? He goes, well, that's, that's a good point. He doesn't do it. And I thought, and no kidding. And I was talking to Landon Turner yesterday on the radio, Indiana great Landon Turner. He's like, why would he do it? All he has to do is drive and nobody stops him. Like, yeah, that's, that's a great point. So why does he need to shoot? We don't know if he can't shoot. I can tell you he can shoot. I wouldn't classify him as a great shooter, maybe not even a good shooter, but a serviceable shooter. But what the other things that he does, it's just too hard to pass up. I like him for the Pacers, fellas. Yeah, I think with Indiana having – Oh, gosh, Dane. I mean, the Pacers have I, – certainly I don't think they're going to take him, you know, with their first pick, but they've got a late no. first and then an early – you know, they basically – the Pacers have Houston's second-round pick, which is essentially going to be like the 30th pick, and I think that's right. right. I do think that Jackson Davis has moved his way into the mid to early 30s in terms of where he slots, so probably right around there, right? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, Alex Golden yesterday had him – I think somewhere early twenties too. So I, I, I don't think he's going to last into the second round uh, because I think he's going to go interview. He's going to show these teams exactly what he can do, and I think he'll. I, I'm almost positive he'll move up. I believe that strongly about it. I, I just think they've got to get him um, to where they can see they can they can run him through the test, whether it's a shooting test, the speed test, whatever it is, the interview, the the psychological test. I mean, this this guy's a winner, and he'll he's incredibly coachable. 
And I think that's usually a problem when they look at, okay, well, he's older now. Well, what do you mean by that? Like he can't, he's not as athletic. No, it's not that. I think they worry that he's, that players that are older are so hardwired that they're unwilling to change. Trace is not unwilling to change. He's incredibly coachable and he's fun to work with. And I think coaches will just find, find that in these, these scouts will find that, gosh, we've really got something here once they get him into these meetings and these tests and these interviews. Dane, lastly, give me the, the school remaining in the Sweet 16. I mean, we know Alabama. You know, Alabama and Houston are one seeds. I get it, right? Um, yeah. I'll even take Texas and Xavier off the board because they're like two and three seeds and people around here know Xavier. Give me the team in the Sweet 16 that people didn't talk about them all year long, but you're like, look, don't, don't sleep on them because they are legit and they can easily find their way to Houston. Well, I'm going to give you Texas just because that was my pick ever since they popped Kansas in the big 12 tournament, I'm like, gosh, these, these guys, wow, that's impressive. They didn't, they didn't just beat them. They drilled them. Um, I will say that Michigan state, what a, what a great bracket they've had all along. Like, good Lord. Why can't I be there with that side with that bracket? Unbelievable. It, it's a cakewalk by Michigan state standards. You got Duke has always been in the bracket of Michigan State. Usually we run into Duke and get beat, except for the Zion Williamson year. I like Michigan State making it to Houston, but be careful because the Florida Atlantic Fighting Hooters, the Owls. Hmm. I'm telling you. They're nocturnal. Yes. Are you going split jersey if Florida Atlantic meets up with Michigan State? Are they going to show you in the crowd? Well, it depends on who gives me the best looking jersey. You know, I got a reputation to uphold, folks. You know, I don't want some some jersey bought at Dick's uh, Sporting Goods. Sorry, Dick's. Uh, Jake loves Dick's, but uh, I'm not a big Dick's fan. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, what I want is the authentic from the equipment room. I want the authentic jersey. But I, I, honestly, guys, I've watched Florida Atlantic. I went and observed them for three or four days in January. They've got a squad, man. They are like the Purdue matchup with uh, FDU. Everybody has to match up with uh, Florida Atlantic, and it, it's a tough matchup for most teams left in this tournament. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. Look out, guys. Dusty May and the Fighting Hooters are coming for you. Listen, if you did a split jersey of, of FAU and then like an MSU one, it could just say FAM. And then you're like, look, they're both FAM, right? I'm cool. <laughs> I'm good with that. See? That's you, right. That's true. You yeah. know, fam you and just put the S, you know, That's Florida true. A&M yeah. shirt if he wants to. Um, I didn't have Hooters and a Dick's reference on That's the right. bingo card, but Dane Five covers it all here with us. Dane, uh, safe right. travels to the Big Apple. Good I'm luck to your – I'm comfortable enough to say that I do, yes, enjoy Dick's. I, I was a big Galleons fan. You know, I like climbing I the wall. Galleons too. I like Galleons climbing. was good. Yeah, climbing the wall. Uh, Dane, enjoy Madison Square Garden. Hey, thanks, fellas. See ya. That's Dane Fife right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, Jake Dane had the reference of, you know, the portal can be the portalette or portal John. You know, it's interesting when you look at Indiana.